hello. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Welcome Hi. to the Written World Podcast. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. Do you want to give us a summary of what this book is about? I can sure try, but that's easier said than done. So this is a book about... So basically, aliens arrive on Earth and they announce that the human race needs to send a representative to compete in this mega galactic Grand Prix, which is a songwriting competition to determine if they are sentient. And this is a a solution that was come to by this intergalactic council after the sentience wars, which were fought to determine which species of the many, many species in various galaxies are sentient. And this was found to be the best way to do so. So all of the different species who are in the running to be considered sentient compete in this competition and the one who comes in last place is wiped out. We extinctify them, eliminate them, so that their planet can try again and create a better life form. Questionable. So, but everyone else, even if you're second to last, everyone else is fine and sentient, I guess. Yeah. Did that cover it? (laughs) Yeah, you did a fabulous job. Like, hats off to you. But basically, in... I guess in shorter terms, it's Eurovision, but in space, (laughs) which is how the author describes it. So that's not like... Yeah, that's definitely the concise one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I guess first impressions of this book? My first impression was just that every sentence had so much. Like, it's clever and it's witty, but every sentence is jam-packed with so much stuff. There's so much description and jokes and references and wit. So not in a good or bad way, but just so much. What about you? Uh, yeah, I was really surprised at how like dense the language was. And it wasn't dense because it was particularly dry or anything like that. It's very wry, very witty. And it's funny, it's just there's so many adjectives stacked on top of each other in every sentence. And like Kylie was saying, sort of just like all of them are a reference, are a joke, or are information that you like feel like you should be remembering as a reader. So it's super easy to get like tripped up and have to reread stuff (laughs) over and over again. And I think, you know... One of the things I love about Valente's work is that it is sort of this, like, metatextual, like, really, like, the language is crafted in a very specific, like, witty way. But I think in this work, at times it was a little bit too much for me. But that not, doesn't mean it was bad, doesn't mean I didn't like it. Because I did. Well, that's a good point, like... So you've read some of the author's work before. I don't believe I have. What what other books of hers or pieces of hers have you, have you read? Okay, so I've read The Grass-Cutting Sword, which is Valente's reshaping of a Japanese myth into, like, novella form. I read that for my, actually, for my thesis. And I also listened as, like, an audio to her short story, the Long Good Night of Violet Wild, 
which is my favorite short story ever and i think one of the one of the sort of tenets of valente's style is that it's very like emotionally rich the language is crafted in a very unique way and that it's always kind of weird which is something that i like i really love about her work which is why i was really excited for this book where did this one sit on the couldn't pick it up couldn't put it down scale for you it sat pretty high on the couldn't pick it up (laughs) end of things but for me that was because just because the language was so dense at times it was like the it's not really a plot heavy book so that makes it hard to read something quickly at times and also because it's the the language itself is dense i had to like read over stuff so it didn't necessarily make me feel like it was something like oh yes the plot is so intriguing like let me go back and pick it up it it was more like i'm intrigued by the world and by the characters but it there's not like an immediacy to needing to pick it up at least until like the end of the book which is where stuff starts to go down yeah i pretty much agree with that because it's not like i need to read to find out what happens next it's more like okay i have to prepare my brain to dive back into this witty but again dense work and again not dense in the way that like it's difficult to read it just like you just have to engage your brain more sometimes is not the mental state i'm in sometimes i just want to like jump right in and this one's a little bit harder to do that for but yeah i didn't like dread picking it up it was just like harder to do it automatically i guess which sort of in a way makes makes this novel sort of that like anti-consumerist sort of work where it's it's not about it's about like the humanity and the sort of the like social commentary in the novel and the fun and stuff it's not really about like it's not a plot driven work it's more of like a a thematic driven thematically driven work which is not necessarily what we like to consume in popular like fiction culture kind of thing that's more along the lines of what literary fiction does which literary fiction is also can be really dense, but definitely not as fun at times. And that's not saying I don't like literary fiction. There are some really great literary fiction stuff, but that's not the kind of thing that you would normally pick up for fun. You know what I mean? Like you go into it being like, okay, I have to engage my brain. I pick this up being like, this is going to be fun and lighthearted and witty, and I'm not going to need to engage my brain. Wrong. That was so perfectly said, every every part of it. I think, yeah, the fact that it's not meant to be, like, a easily digestible top ten novel, I guess. Like, you know, it's not, it's not the pop hit of novels, but it's not really trying to be, and that's fine. We just kind of thought it was, but that's okay. Yeah, really, yes, I agree. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, which I feel like says more about um, our like the culture of readers than it does the author so oh yes <laughs> which yeah i worry about that sometimes i'm like well why why am i so reluctant to engage my brain right now mm-hmm. needs a little bit of exercise yeah i feel like we sometimes at least i find myself treating books as like media to be consumed sort of like how you would watch a movie or like mm-hmm. watch a show or whatever and not necessarily as something that's supposed to meant to like challenge me as a reader and I think that one of the beautiful things about writing and reading is to be challenged and to mm-hmm. sort of like do some brain work as a reader. The writer doesn't necessarily have to do all the work for you. 
because it's not about you. But oftentimes, like, our culture sort of promotes books that are about the writer doing everything for you so the reader can just consume it like mass-marketed media. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So. That makes me think about, this is, like, kind of a tangent, but this is something I think about a lot. So I feel like, in my life, there are two prevailing opinions about games And one is that they just want something easy so they can, like, have a drink or have a conversation or just, like, chill out while they're playing. And the other is people who, like, want to really have to think and be on and focused and and whatever. And I I don't know. I think about that a lot because I usually fall into the category of just wanting something to be easy, like... When it's, when it's at the ta- point in the day when I would be playing a game, usually I'm like, well, I already used my brain enough today. Like, give me something simple. And not that I, like, logically think there's anything wrong with that, but I do often, like, feel bad about it because some of my best friends are like, let's play this really brain-intensive game. And I'm like, I don't think I have space to learn it right now. Oh my gosh, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about, like, the same sort of thing. And I sort of, like, came to this or at least now I'm coming to this realization that I sort of like fall in the middle between these two things because I often like when I do have time to play games I want something that's like not super brain intensive but I'm always like hungering for like a story or for really like intense like little things that you can like pick up on in a game or whatever Hmm. and then I was talking to someone about Dungeons and Dragons the other day and I was like, oh, I play this game, and this game is intense. Like, you have to know all the rules. We don't have to. That's let's let's make that clear. Let's not be rules lawyers. We don't have to know all the rules. But you have to do a lot of brain work to sort of function in this other space as another character. You're acting. You're using like your emotions. You're sort of like trying to figure out puzzles and using your brain as like an imaginary sphere because there's usually, especially in this COVID area covid era there is no like physical game in front of you it's all like a mental thing it's Mm -hmm. a lot of energy and it's a lot of work and like i i can sort of like understand now why some people maybe aren't into putting that much effort into playing a game because i like it because it's more immersive but also like i've been putting off learning like settlers of Catan for like years because i'm like i don't have the brain space to learn this See, in my brain, those two games occupy, like, the same sort of space, which is just, like, brain-intensive. And, like, I think it's really cool. Like, I think it's so cool that people put all of themselves, all like, so much of themselves into, like, Dungeons & Dragons and, like, w- like world-building games. And, I don't know, maybe it's just because, like, my brain is so death grip on, like, productivity and, like things of value and it like superficially says like that's not valuable but I don't know maybe it's not that deep maybe I'm just tired (laughs) it's it's so hard to like to tell and I I was thinking about this too because um I was thinking of like texting my my college D&D group and being like oh let's play a session this weekend and I was like I don't have time for that I don't have the energy to come up with all of that stuff because as much as it's like a relaxant and something fun I really like to do, it's not restful. <laughs> right. It's a lot of work. So, I mean. Thoughts on games. Thoughts on games. Another form of media. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I guess getting back to space opera. Feelings about the character. I love 
Decibel Jones. <laughs> How to describe him? He's like a Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, George Michael, and like literally an Elton John just had like I was gonna say Elton John. a baby, like a child. <laughs> Slash adult man. If all of those people just happened to birth an adult man, yeah, it would all... be Decibel Jones. Exactly. Thank you. That's that's the phrasing I was looking for. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of fun because all of those artists are like my favorite artists, and I for some reason like get really invested in their music because it's beautiful and it's just my thing. So. Yeah, I agree. He was endearing and. And fun, like, reading from his point of view. I don't have a whole lot to say about the characters, like, in general, because I feel like, like, the language itself was, like, so much that there wasn't much room for, like, too much characterization other than the main character. But I did feel like, like, there were so many characters introduced in this book, and considering that, they were all, like, fairly, like, I don't know if... It, not like developed because we didn't like see an arc for most of them but like like fairly fleshed out like they had like a like a lot to them for for there being so many of them and i feel like they were all like a little bit flawed all had some redeeming qualities so i think that's an impressive feat yeah definitely no one like felt like a throwaway character yeah yeah speaking of that one character who i really really liked who i thought was really funny was Clippy the Paperclip. So, so yeah. This book, I don't think this is a spoiler. This book features a certain friend you might remember if you've ever been on an early version of Microsoft Word, and it's that <laughs> little paperclip guy who says, "Are you trying to blank? I can help you." <laughs> and he is a character in this book, and I don't know, I just thought that was like a clever little cute touch. Yeah. It got me. I laughed out loud. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. To be more specific, he's like there is a race in the book, like an alien race that can that don't leave their planet. Instead, they manifest themselves in avat- in physical avatars. And so Clippy was one of the avatars. You explained that way better than I ever could have. Uh, what did you like about this other um, than Decibel Jones? Other than Decibel Jones, I I really liked the the complex and very like nuanced look at humanity even though this was done usually in very like expository phrases towards the end of the the book we sort of get a look deeper into how we all know that humanity is deeply flawed we are well aware but we sort of get a look to see like how far those those sort of like colonial and like racist and um homophobic like flaws sort of actively affect other people and even though there are all of these terrible things that humanity sort of does they're still sentient they're still beings that have the capacity to care for other people which is it's not a hard pill to swallow because it's it's the truth like that's that's what it is but it I don't even know how how to articulate this. I think one one of the things that um, Catherine and Valente has always been really good at, and the stuff that I've read of hers, is sort of making that sort that social commentary really like hit home slash like make you feel things without necessarily doing it the way that you would normally think that you would be experiencing something like. 
normally you would think, oh, like, we're getting really close to these characters and starting to, like, feel empathy for them. And then when all of this stuff, when you sort of, like, connect all of these dots, then, like, okay, you get the social commentary, you feel something about them. Cool. But I think the way that Valente sort of helps us understand that isn't even through humanity at all. It's through, like, the alien races and then sort of through what isn't said about the characters. Yeah. I don't know if I explained that well at all. I think you did. (laughs) I, yeah. I really like what you said about, like, the fact that she does that through the alien characters. That was, yeah. Yes, to add to that in terms of positives, this book is funny. Like, there are some really funny things. I laughed out loud on several occasions. There's lots of, like, little cultural references thrown in to, like, make the audience feel seen and be like, ah, I get it. Earth things. Yeah, so this is this is a funny, witty, witty little book. Yeah. So I actually have, like, a thing on the fact that, like, with all of these references, I don't recommend reading this book if you're, like, new to sci-fi. I am new to sci-fi. <laughs> and, like, I, I missed a lot of things. Like, on the front of the book that I'm holding up now, it says, In space, everyone can hear you sing, which is a reference to the movie Alien. Which it's, I, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that either. My professor had to tell me that when I was like, Oh, look, I showed him this book. And he was like, Oh, yeah, that's from Alien. I'm like, I've never seen Alien. I think it's In Space, Everyone Can Hear You Scream. Or no one can hear you scream. Probably. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, if anyone's a lover of Alien, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wonder how much... Because I don't read a ton of, like, this kind of science fiction, so I wonder how much we just totally went over our heads. Yeah, because I, I think the author took inspiration from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I also haven't read. I, no, yes, you're definitely right, though. Okay, cool. But yeah, like, I just, I feel like there's a lot of science fiction references, and this is really, like, one of my first experiences with sci-fi, so, at least in, like, novel form, so it was, it was interesting, it was a good time, but I wish that I had sort of more experience with the genre, so then I could, like, understand this, this sort of subversion of the the genre in the same way that I can understand when fantasy subverts fantasy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So that being said, like, if you do really like the genre of science fiction, you'll probably get even more of those, like, little in-jokes than we did just being people who live on this planet. Yeah, I I would imagine that you'd get get a pretty good kick out of it in that sense. And also, of course, anyone who loves, like, David Bowie or any of the other people who theoretically could have birthed Decibel Jones. (laughs) You'll like this. If you like that kind of, like, if you like music, if you're a big music person, you'll probably also get a kick out of it. And anyone who likes just, like, clever language and wit. Yeah. I really love the musical references. Like, I really liked that, like, sometimes the name of the songs would be, like, sort of subversions of other real songs. And, like, yes, I loved it. It was fun. And I was like, I know that song, or I know. I think there's this this one chunk in the beginning of the book where the author like writes out a bunch of lyrics to something and like they're all from different songs but they're like mushed together and mm-hmm. I was like I know what that song is I know what that song is yep what that yep, song yep. is yeah it was fun also not no spoilers the end was kind of crack like crack or yeah crap? it was like, like crack like not crap crack like it was insane 
like it was stuff started happening and I was like what I yeah like it gets weird for a book that's already pretty weird which I think is hilarious and a lot (laughs) of fun but like if weird things bother you then like maybe don't pick this yeah no I'm seeing more what you were talking about now yeah it was it did like for a book where not that much happened like that wasn't very plot heavy most of the way through at the end it was just kind of like right right there right everywhere everywhere um, that was a lot it was a lot it was it was great i think that the ending was sort of like was the icing on the cake for the book for me i feel like that's the reason why i still really like it but yeah it was a lot <laughs> yeah i guess we kind of touched eh, not really what bothered you about this i don't even know if this is like a critique it's just the the way that the language was sort of dense I think my my overstuffed brain was not here for it, but that's like more of a commentary on me than the author. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I did find that there were a lot of sentences that I had to read over and over, which also basically what Izzy said. Maybe it says more about me than the author. It was very skillful and yeah, definitely admire this work, but I guess it just wasn't the most fun to read for me, which again, says more about me than anything else. Yeah. Was it what you expected? No. We talked about this. No. (laughs) It wasn't. Absolutely not. (laughs) Completely different than what I expected. I really expected more, like, plot. Mm -hmm. There was... It really felt like so much of this book was exposition, because they they just kept bringing in new characters and species and planets, which was fun and cool, but it led it to feeling mostly like exposition up till the end. Yeah. I think the word that I, like, in my brain came up with to, like, describe what this is, is, like, macrocosmic. This is macrocosmic. It's not microcosmic. It's not, like, this, like, character-driven focus on a couple of people. No, it's, it's like the universe is being crammed into your brain and into a book. And I think that's the vibe. That's sort of, like, what the author was going for. But, like, it's a lot. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this one? Just anyone who likes to think, like, check out Valente's work. I think she does great stuff, so. This is not my favorite of her works, but that's fine, too. All right, so should we jump into our personalized recommendation? Sure. Would you like to read it? Yes, I would. Let me pull that up really fast. We interrupt our regularly scheduled program for nothing, because I found it. (laughs) (laughs) okay so um, this person asked for male protagonist angst hurt slash comfort fantasy and does not die at the end and third person as you can probably deduce from all the other episodes we've done this one's gonna be an izzy one izzy's gonna be better at this than me but i do have something so i don't know do you want to go first or should i get mine out of the way (laughs) Um, stop doubting yourself like this i actually I had a hard time with this one because, and by no means of, like, disregarding what this, like, person's looking for. Like, that's all great and nice and stuff. But I actively read fantasy books that don't have male protagonists. Yeah. And, like, which is really amusing to me because it's more difficult to find high fantasy adult fiction without a male protagonist. It's easier now, but, like, in the past, it wasn't. So I actually kind of had a little bit of a hard time coming up with something that I've read that I could be, like, 
that I could recommend to this person that they haven't already read. Mm-hmm. I think the a book that fits really perfectly into this recommendation is The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. But she's already purchased and read and like is reading this book and she really loves it. So like, not going to say that. <laughs> so I think another book that sort of like goes along the line of The Name of the Wind, but I like better is The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. I think that... I knew Brandon Sanderson was going to come up in this. Yeah, it had... He had to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really do like his work and sort of his, his like, style of writing slash... He teaches a lot about writing, which I find really helpful. But this is an epic fantasy. It doesn't just have a male protagonist. It has... A, it has... Oh, God. It's an epic fantasy. There are lots of characters. But the main protagonist of the first book is male... But it's an epic fantasy, so there are also some female narration and stuff too, which I'm not I'm sure this person's not gonna be bothered by. Each book is like a different it focuses on a different character. The first one is Kaladin's book, and I feel like Kaladin really fits the hurt comfort slash high fantasy third person male protagonist vibe. And yeah. Also one of the things I really like about Brandon Sanderson that it's better than Patrick Rothfuss is that he's not overtly sexist all the time and his female characters are real people and the gendered stuff in his books is a part of world building and has a purpose and is not ridiculous so the way of kings (laughs) cheers Uh, I think it's really interesting that this request featured a specific point of view because that's not something I think about very often or yeah like they requested specifically third person which is not something i ever really think about until i start reading a book so i'd be curious to know dear listener if or you know person who asks for this hopefully they listen that would be cool like where that comes from and like why you're looking for that kind of thing like you know no judgment i'm just curious because it's not something i think about a lot i couldn't think of anything i'd read that fit this however goodreads is a beautiful thing and i came across this one and now I do want to read it. And it seems really interesting and it thinks, I think it would fit. I can't give it my complete endorsement because I have not read it, but it sounds really good. It is Red Rising, the first of a series by Pierce Brown. Oh, Izzy's got some feelings. I've actually, I've heard really good things about this book. I haven't read it, but it's sort of like on my radar. All right, so that's a good sign. I'm gonna just read a quick synopsis because I have not read it and can't summarize it myself. So this is from Goodreads. Darrow is a red, a member of the lowest caste in the color-coded society of the future. Like his fellow reds, he works all day, believing that he and his people are making the surface of Mars livable for future generations. Yet he spends his life willingly, knowing that his blood and sweat will one day result in a better world for his children. But Darrow and his kind have been betrayed. Soon he discovers that humanity already reached the surface generations ago. Vast cities and sprawling parks spread across the planet. Darrow and reds like him are nothing more than slaves to a decadent ruling class. Inspired by a longing for justice and driven by the memory of lost love, Darrow sacrifices everything to infiltrate the legendary institute. 
a proving ground for the dominant gold caste, where the next generation of humanity's overlords struggle for power. He'll be forced to compete for his life and the very future of civilization against the best and most brutal of society's ruling class. There, he'll stop at nothing to bring down his enemies, even if it means he has to become one of them to do so. And I think that I thought, when I read this the first time, the summary, I think I thought it had more of a sense of, like, comfort, angst. And I'm not seeing that so much now, but here, we hit the other marks, right? Maybe I had another one? Oh, and the other one just keeps coming up, and it's TJ Klune's Under the Whispering Door, which, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's probably not as fantasy as you're looking for, but, like... Uh, it's just sweet and good and so it, a reaper comes to collect Wallace from his funeral and he basically has what what is it oh seven days to live a lifetime before he crosses over yeah can't I can't not recommend TJ Clune I think that's just gonna have to be a feature of every episode Ooh. have you have you read it yet no I only read house in the cerulean sea Okay, because I have it. I haven't read it, though. And I was like, I have so many things to read. <laughs> Why am I like this? What have you read recently, if anything, other than schoolwork? Nothing. And space School opera. Work, schoolwork and space opera. Actually, I'm, I started The Mythic Dream, which is a collection of short stories that in, includes a short story by our very favorite Carmen Maria Machado. But I've only completed two of the short short stories, the first two in the work in the book in the collection, and I I love it so far, and it's a lot of fun, and I feel like it hits on the the sort of subversion and like meatiness of myths that I really appreciate. But I feel like when you buy just a collection of straight myths that aren't really like subversive retellings or anything, that sort of gets lost. So I I really like it. I'm also reading right now, which I started like 30 minutes ago, Clara in the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro, which is really good so far. I'm only like 20 pages in, but it's also for a class, but it's a more popular work of fiction. It just came out in I have heard good so. things. Yeah, I'm, I like, I have a really hard time focusing lately while reading just because of anxiety and having like too much stuff to do. But I sat down to read this book and I was like enthralled immediately. Like it's, which is really, which by the way is really, really hard for me to be. I think that what I'm going to read next is I just got two copies. I'm borrowing one copy, but I just got two copies of Beowulf, which Ooh. I've never read, which is crazy. But so there's a more like traditional translation of Beowulf that I have that is supposed to be really good and then I have a more like feminist like subversive translation slash retelling of Beowulf and it's all in like epic poetry so that should be really fast to read and I'm excited about it. Is that for a class or is that your own for edification? Fun. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm interested to hear about that. Thank you. I'm interested to do it if I ever have time. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on final season bud. <laughs> I'm not even, like, it's not even that. Like, the finals aren't even going to take that long. Like, it's everything else except for the finals. Damn. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. What about you? I recently, on another book podcast, heard about this book called The Book of the Unnamed Midwife. And it sounded incredible. And I was almost going to say, like, we should read this for the podcast. But then I realized I couldn't wait. So I read it already. But it's basically about, it's about a pandemic. 
but in a different way. It's, it kills almost, it kills like 90% or 99% of people who get it, but almost 100% of women and babies. So very quickly that throws the world into a crisis of like women being increasingly rare and will there ever be a living baby born again? And it was so compelling and so good. And I really raced through it. And I actually kind of think like maybe, I think, I think it was maybe a little bit like heavy handed foreshadowing at some points, but I didn't really mind because the plot was so compelling. I feel like as a reader, I'm willing to forgive a lot if you have a compelling plot. Yeah. And it was really, really, I, I raced through it. And then I realized there was a sequel and it was right on, I think it was on Scribd. Scribd. It was right there though and I could jump right in so I'm reading that right now. And that's really interesting but I don't think I can describe it too much without giving away spoilers so I'm gonna stop. Have I read anything else or am I, what's next? I don't know what's next. I have a lot of bookshelves and I'm kind of excited to just pick one of them. <laughs> so, well, I mean I don't have that many bookshelves but I have a lot of books. Yeah. I don't think we know what we're reading next for the podcast, but... No, I think that's something we should talk about. <laughs> probably. <laughs> After um, this. Probably. However, we'll let you know on Instagram. Yeah, we will. So follow us at The Written World Podcast.